Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 74, recorded on July 10th, 2017. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and on this week's episode, we're going to briefly run down the week's worth of action on the field. We'll preview the all-star break that we are forced to endure. We'll look at some unfortunate, but fortunately timed injuries. We'll take a quick look around the AL Central. We'll marvel at Jose Ramirez's rapid rise to being everybody's favorite player. And of course, we'll take your questions. Before we get into all that, I want to thank everybody listening live now or on Facebook or wherever or whenever you're tuning in. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you do listen to your favorite podcast. Consider leaving a review. It all helps us. So, Jason Lucart, as always, is here to join me. So, Jason, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, back after a week in the, the woods of northern Michigan with minimal internet. So, uh, I'm glad to be home. That is the equivalent of just going... I guess in the middle of nowhere, which is literally what it is if you don't have internet anymore, I guess. Yeah, I, I've discovered I could go, it's much easier for me to be without like TV than it is uh, internet. I don't know what that says about me, but I'm not proud <laughs> of it, but boy, I missed it. Wait, like cable TV you still watch? Oh yeah, I'm, we're, we're still plugged in. Oh, I had to plug mine in for the first time to watch the, the game on Sunday night. It was basically torture. Which is also sad that I still pay for it, <laughs> but I still have it for like... The playoffs and the one time a year the Indians are on national TV. I watch enough TV shows. I don't feel like fussing with like Hulu and Amazon and the eight different streaming things that would be required to keep up with all the TV shows I watch. Yeah, if you watch enough, it's not worth it to, to juggle all of them. Did you happen to watch either the Fox or ESPN one? Because if you didn't know, the Indians were back-to-back national broadcast games. Well, I guess the one, the Fox one, was regional, but both games in a way were on national television compared to when they're usually not. So did you watch either of them? Uh, I got to see about three innings of Indians baseball last week. <laughs> so then, yes, of course you did. But you missed one of the the most annoying broadcasters ever on Saturday. Um, I don't know if you maybe heard about it or anything, but Billy Ripken, he just he sort of hates baseball. I've got the whole idea of listening to him. It's just, it was it's everything he complained about. It was the replay system. It was how long batters take. It was the way batters swing. It was, I don't know, that guy just does not like the sport, and yet he's paid to talk about it. It was kind of fascinating. I wonder if he resents the fact that he was nowhere near as good as his brother. It's got to be tough to do the same thing as a sibling and be like, just awful I mean, at it. in the grand scheme of the world, a great baseball player because you're good enough to make the majors. But in the grand scheme of being compared to your brother, you were garbage. <laughs> that might make you dislike the sport just a little bit. But, but when you get that far, I mean, I guess he's already in baseball. So if he does truly hate baseball, he's kind of stuck in it now. So I don't know. Maybe he was just nervous and could only point out bad things to talk about. 
Um, but anyway, the Indians did play a bunch of games last week. They were one and two against the Padres, two and one against the Tigers. And I used to didn't watch a whole lot of them. Uh, but Bradley Zimmer, he he's looking really good. I think we talked about him the last podcast a few weeks ago. That was mainly about how fast he is. But in the last week, especially, he's made a bunch of diving catches. I think it was there was two in one game, and there were two in two separate other games. And the kid is just all over the field. He's running the bases great. Um, and Mike Voris on Facebook, he asked, "What's the long term plan for Zimmer? Hope it's a permanent spot." I do definitely think that's what it is. I can't imagine it's worth manipulating his service time anymore if they even can. I don't know without getting into trouble at this point because he's been so good. But, I mean, there's no reason not to start him, even if he wasn't batting well. He plays defense. He runs the bases. So I cannot imagine Mike or Bradley Zimmer is anything but the starting center fielder now, which is great to know that the Indians have a starting center fielder. So have you been impressed with him? I know you didn't watch him the last week in particular, yeah. but – when I've watched in the last month, his defense has really impressed me. Um, I feel like most of the reports I read on him coming up were like, you know, adequate defense, but not necessarily spectacular. Um, so the defense has been better than I expected. Uh, and he's been an above average hitter, which for a rookie is, uh, I think, a pretty good bar to clear. So, yeah, he's been he's been really impressive. Hopefully he holds up better than Tyler Naquin did last year. Um but, you know, he was a better prospect, a more highly regarded prospect. So I think the odds of him being able to keep it up are, are better than they were for Naquin. Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing is that Naquin was a surprise and Zimmer really isn't. He's just playing to what he was pretty much supposed to be. Um, and, the, and the Indians fans have kind of been spoiled because, I mean, they had Francisco Lindor as a rookie. He hit extremely well. Tyler Naquin hit extremely well. And on Bradley Zimmer's hitting pretty well, so... Eventually, there's going to be a rookie that comes up and isn't amazing right now. I guess Yandy Diaz was that rookie, but we're going to have to adjust our expectations just a little bit. Um, every rookie's been great lately, it seems like, but it's not going to happen forever. And about Zimmer's defense, from what I remember, the most reports were that he didn't, he wasn't great at reading the ball, which he isn't now either, but he catches up to it so well every time. <laughs> like a couple of those diving catches were because he read the ball while he took a wrong step, but then he's just so fast and he can dive to everything, so... I don't think scouts either knew how fast he was or knew or didn't think it would translate to the majors or something, but I think everybody underestimated his speed. Yeah, I certainly did. I did not. I mean, he's, uh, you know, when we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, is in the context of him having a race against that the, the guy in Atlanta, the freeze or whatever his name is. Um, and I stand by what I said, that <laughs> Zimmer's not going to outrun a, you know, NCAA champion sprinter or whatever that guy is. Um, but Zimmer's, Speed is no joke. Yeah, it's it's one of the fastest in the league. It was the last time I saw it was measured. It was like point ten, or it was a tenth of a foot slower than um, it was either Hamilton or Buxton. One of the fastest guys. He's just barely slower than it's. It's crazy how fast he is. Brian Shaddix in the comments says uh, Zimmer probably wouldn't let that ball drop in the World Series. First of all, too soon. Second of all, probably not. I guess. Um, we'll never know, well, but, most, but mostly too soon. <laughs> mostly too soon, and also we'll never know. Um, the other thing I want to talk about from these games is that the rotation, which just involves another rookie. I don't want to always talk about rookies, but I like I like rookie. Well, I don't know if is Clevenger still a rookie. I don't know. If uh, I'm he's not, a I'm... young player, but either way, I think he's pitched his way into the starting rotation. His last three games, which I mean, it's more than three games, but I'm picking three out of convenience. Uh, it was the Rangers, Tigers, and Tigers again. Six innings each game. He allowed uh, two hits, two hits, and three hits, and then one earned run in two of the games, and then nothing else. Struck out 
what is that, 20 altogether in those three games. So he's been amazing lately. His ERA is at three right now. Uh, his FIP's a little higher just because of his walks. But he's been really good. Uh, Merritt Rolfing kind of called it with his post back in June after the Indians demoted him the first time. That Cleveringer was kind of unlucky. He had, a bad, he had a string of starts where he was really bad. I think he had like, what was it? Like 12 earned runs over three starts. He wasn't very good. He had like five in the one. He walked a bunch of players. And Merritt kind of noted that he was just unlucky. His, his The balls were getting through the field. He had a really high bat pip. And then Clevenger dominated and AAA came back up. And now he's really good again. He's got an outstanding curveball. And one of the things I noticed about him the most, um, just kind of skimming over stats, when you look at weighted uh, pitch values on fan graphs, he's one of a very few pitchers that has positive everything, which basically means that the runs above average for his pitchers are better. They're at least above average with the, or in the positives. They're not negatives. They don't hurt them. So even Corey Kluber, who has the absolute best curveball and is an amazing pitcher, he has a fastball worth negative four runs above average. So most pitchers have at least one pitch that's really not working for him, but at least based on that metric and a limited quantity or a limited sample size, of course, but that's one big reason why he's been good. It's like all his pitches are working. He gets them for strikeouts. He allows a lot of walks still, but when he gets that figured out, um, I think he's going to take over Tomlin. Just this, this rotation is not going to stay the way it is forever, I don't think. I don't even know if Salazar is going to come back and win his spot. I think he might be going to the bullpen because Clevenger has just squeezed his way in there. But it's going to be interesting coming up. I don't think the, I think the rotation is going to be changed one way or the other um, because of Tomlin's struggles. Even Sean Morimondo in AAA has been really good lately. He pitched three out of his four games were complete game shutouts in AAA. So he might get a shot. Of course, Ryan Merritt's always hovering around. So... The rotation has is, is been interesting all year long. It was weak for a while. It's strong now. And it's just it's just interesting going forward watching the rotation. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i thought for a while that Salazar probably ends up in the bullpen. Um, you know, with Clevenger pitching well, certainly it would be justifiable with Salazar's health issues to, to say you're moving to the bullpen, not as a demotion, but just kind of to keep him healthy. Um if they view Salazar as a starter still, I think Salazar comes back ahead of Bauer and Tomlin. Um, I think Tomlin's probably the guy pushed out, which makes sense, although uh, I'm not really much more impressed with Bauer than I am with Tomlin. Um, but I also know part of that is just I find Bauer irritating, and so I'm <laughs> prone to judging him negatively. <laughs> Bauer's ahead of, Bauer deserves to be ahead of Tomlin, but not by as much as I think a lot of people maybe. Really? So you, you, don't, you think you think they're pretty close together? Yeah. I would have Neither Bauer quite a bit ahead of Tomlin, even with all the strikeouts. I, yeah, all the strikeouts, but all of the walks too. Like <laughs> the inability to finish six innings most of the time. Like he's not a good pitcher. They're both basically number five starters. They just do it a little differently. But I don't. The fact that Bauer can strike a bunch of guys out and have results that are basically as bad as Tomlin's uh, does for me, the strikeouts don't change the fact that the results aren't really any better. But Jason, he executes his pitches. I've, I've heard him every game. He says it. He executes them. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. where he wanted him to go. Since <laughs> I find him irritating. <laughs> and I think it's that he gets them where he wants them. They're just not good pitches. There's, there's two aspects of throwing a good pitch there. You locate it and you throw a good pitch. He's just throwing garbage to good spots sometimes. And, yeah, he just gets hammered way too often. Either way, I think you're right about Clevenger. I mean, I don't think you can move him out of the rotation right now. I mean, if he gets shelled three or four times or something, then that changes. But uh, yeah, right now, I think Clevenger definitely stays in the rotation. 
I hope it wouldn't change after getting shelled three times. Tomlin's been shelled how many times and he's still there? I mean, as long as he's still showing something, I would think he's there for a little while. Until Salazar comes back, I guess. If I can't imagine Tomlin going down and then replacing Clevenger again. That'd just be a cycle of pain I would not want to go through. <laughs> so anything that you observed in your three innings of watching the Indians or what you read in the last week? Or no, even further I mean, than that, the last month since the last time you recorded. I mean, one of the things we talked about before, and I've said before, like the AL Central is just a pretty crummy division. The Indians have not played especially well, uh, yet they sit in first place. Uh, Pakoda has them with a, a pretty high confidence for uh, winning the division, despite a sort of small lead right now. Um, I think Pakoda's got them as uh, 91% to win the central. So they're benefiting from lousy competition, but I don't care. That doesn't bother me at all. They've got plenty of time to get their act together and sort of hopefully kind of be firing on all cylinders by the time October rolls around. Yeah, not to make it a cocky thing, but I mean, if, if the Indians don't win, no matter who else wins, that's an upset, isn't it? I mean, nobody expects yeah. the Twins to win. If the Royals do, I guess it's kind of their big comeback tour, but... Anybody the Indians winning is a surprise at this point. Yep. And the, and the Royals, I mean, they looked like sellers for a while. They won a bunch of games, and now all of a sudden they want to go for it, which I wrote about it last week. If they want to do that, I am all for it. Please, Royals, go all in. <laughs> Keep everything you have. Maybe deal your one good prospect for another piece to try to go for it. I am all for that. Because after the season, I mean, Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakis, Alcides Escobar, Lorenzo Cain, Jason Vargas, they're all unrestricted free agents. So that team is done after this year, no matter what. And they've had, um, I think the last good draft was, what was it, several years ago before they won the World Series. And since then, it was all been bust in the first round. Bubba, Bubba Starling is not even a prospect anymore. Um, the recent drafts haven't been very good either. They haven't made any good trades to restock the farm. So the only way they're going to compete in like the next four to five years is sell. And if they don't sell now, they're screwing themselves for a long time. So I am all for that, Royals. For the next month, I am, I'm going to buy a Royals jersey and wear it, and I'm going to just try to send messages to their GM that you got this, you can do it, <laughs> don't sell, go all in. Um, are you a Royals fan too, Jason? You should be. I, I refuse context <laughs> to categorize myself as a Royals fan. You can cross your fingers behind your back when you say it if you want, but, but you have to be for now. I don't know if you're familiar uh, with uh, Randy Gisarely, who is one of the, the co-founders of Baseball Prospectus and has done a lot of really good baseball writing over the years. But his his day job is uh, he's a, a dermatologist, a, a skin doctor, who happens to have an office uh, in my hometown. And so a couple of weeks ago, I, I dropped by his office just to kind of talk baseball with him for a few minutes and asked him, because he's a Royals fan, and asked him how he felt. And he said, you know, like... At any point in my life as a Royals fan in this situation, I would be desperate for them just to trade everyone, rebuild. You know, they're probably not going to win this year. And just like you said, they're setting themselves up for five bad years, and I wouldn't have wanted that. He's like, but you know, they won the World Series, and I find I just don't – I care in a different way now. And he's basically saying maybe this team, maybe this core has one more crazy run in them. Uh, if they don't, so be it. They still won the World Series, you know, two years ago. So what do I care? Uh, I would really like to have that kind of carefree, what happens, happens attitude about the Indians. And I blame the Cubs. <laughs> I do wonder how long that afterglow lasts. I imagine like the Phillies are over it now. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, in it, 
it's going to vary. It's going to last a little while. Some people it's going to last almost not at all. And some people like they'll be satisfied for life. They got to see it once. I also feel like the older you are, the more, the longer it's likely to last because you've suffered longer. So the satisfaction of seeing it end is greater and probably provides longer relief, I would think. Yeah, and also when you're older, time seems to go faster. So when you're young, like a year between World Series is a ton. But when you're when you're getting older, that's that's nothing. So I think it's yeah, like you said, when you get older, it lasts a little bit. The satisfaction lasts a little bit longer, I think. Uh, but maybe it goes like the current core. Like maybe once this group of Royals are gone, that'll fade away. Because that's what happened with the Phillies, I guess. Like it's like when Ryan Howard left, that core was done completely, and maybe that's when that faded for them. I don't know. I would like to know that feeling sooner rather than later. <laughs> and another thing about the your story, it's always interesting to me that baseball writers who do a ton of work online and all you know about is their baseball writing, you later find out they have like regular J jobs. Like, wow, really? You do all this baseball writing and say, no, all I know you for is baseball writing yet you're a dermatologist during the day, which is always really interesting. Yeah, and, like, and I think he had offers to work full time in baseball. Um, but he's got a successful practice and, you know, a family and stuff like that. And I think he felt like it just wasn't quite enough of a sure thing to last long enough to justify sort of giving up his medical career for. Yeah, you're going to need – you're going to be in demand as a, a dermatologist more than you'll be something in baseball, I'm sure. So yeah, I couldn't blame him for that. Um, so anything else about the AL Central? We we're going to talk about it later, but we'll just do it now. <laughs> I mean, like we said, the Indians, uh, the leader. Yeah, I mean – Weeks ago, the Tigers were the team I was most worried about, but the Indians beat up on them, and I can't fathom the Tigers could consider themselves buyers. So I think they're sort of out of throwing at this point. So, yeah, I mean, if it's not the Indians, it's going to be the Royals or Twins. Um, I feel like the Royals are a better team than the Twins, not by a huge amount, though. Uh, I'd rather be in the Twins' position just because they're younger, but, like, for just – the rest of this season with the current roster, I think the Royals are a little better. Um, the Indians ought to win this division. Like even if the Indians were three games back right now, I'd feel like the Indians are going to win the division. So um, well, at one point that was the case. <laughs> they were like three games back and we still felt like they were going to win. Yep. Exactly. It's just such an easy so, division. Yeah. I've still got yeah. my bets on the Roy- or on the twins though, that they're going to yeah. be at least second, not first, but I guess even if the Royals don't sell, I would still, I still think even if they don't sell, they're going to fade out at the end, and the Twins are going to somehow stumble in the winning record. I'm riding that to the end. <laughs> I don't care how long the yeah. Twins are going to be bad. If but... the Royals don't sell, I'll take the Royals finishing ahead of the Twins, but we'll see what the Royals decide to do. Yeah. Oh, we didn't mention the White Sox. Do we need to? No. I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did see their ridiculous demand for Jose Quintana was like Clint Frazier and Glaber Torres from the Yankees, so... They're doing real good with that, the whole trading. Well, I'll, to the White Sox credit for... As someone who's lived most of their life in or very close to Chicago, I know more about the White Sox than probably any team other than the Indians. Uh, they have probably the best farm system I can remember them having. Um, so I think the White Sox would be a team to worry about in three years or so. Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, it would be nice to trade Quintana, but if they're going to make the ridiculous demands, maybe they won't. I don't know. He's under control for a couple more years, doesn't he? So it's not like they have yeah, to right now. Like, there's sort of no reason not to kind of shoot high for now. He's a good player with control for a while. If they don't get an offer they like right now, they can shop him again in the offseason and shop him again 12 months from now. Uh, so some less fun things to talk about besides the Indians just trampling over the 
AL Central. Well, they'll start trampling soon anyway. Some injuries. Uh, Lenny Chisano had a right calf injury. Apparently cramped up running the bases. If he goes in the DL, it'll be his third trip of the season. He previously went on for shoulder sprain and concussion system, symptoms. Uh, Jason Kipnis, uh, he was, why am I blanking what his was? Hamstring, and he could be out for like a month, I think, the last I saw. He's on the 10-day DL, but of course that can be repeated or extended. But for now, he's on 10-day. It is kind of nice they both got injured right before the All-Star break. That helps. Um, Matt McPhee on Facebook, he won the know. If Kipnis' injury is prolonged, what infield configuration would you like to see eric gonzalez at second j ram at second and yandi at third base geo meaning giovanni urshela at third i think what we saw yesterday if kipnis is out that's going to be it it's jose ramirez at third and eric gonzalez at second i don't know if you really want to shift everyone over just to get giovanni urshela's glove at third when his bat is terrible <laughs> i think eric gonzalez is good enough at second to leave him there that's that's a really good left side of the defense ramirez lindor and gonzalez so if Kipnis is out for a while, I think Gonzalez is a perfectly fine replacement for a little while. I don't see him trading a second for a second baseman or a third baseman just because of the injury. Maybe if they thought before they could upgrade Kipnis, but not just because he has a hamstring injury. Yeah, I feel the same way. I, I'm fully aware that Jose Ramirez is probably going to be just fine no matter where he's playing, but there is some part of me that just feels like things have been going so well since it's been the everyday third baseman and just like kind of leave him there and not mess with what he's got going on when the difference between, you know, whether it's Gonzalez at second or Diaz at third or Shell at third or, you know, whatever else you would come up with. I think you're talking about pretty minor differences between them. So yeah, I think I would leave everyone where they are and rotate guys through second base. Yeah. And, and Kenneth's injury, it's, it seems like it's, horrible because it's a month but as brandon bowers a uh, friend of the podcast and the the comment said the biggest concern for kipnis going forward is hamstring injuries can be recurrent rehab for all three isn't too tough just takes time so it's not like it's a devastating injury it's just a hamstring strain so he'll probably be out for a month but then it's probably not too intensive rehab and then he'll just be back and ready to go what was his injury and in, i should have looked it up beforehand but in spring training was it another hamstring or was that something else i'm completely blanking on what it was but you know, if the Indians come out of the All-Star break and go like six and thirteen over the next three weeks, I guess things change. But again, they, you could eliminate probably any two players you want, and they still should win the Central. Yeah, they can uh, go six and thirteen and still be in the lead, probably. So I feel like they just, you know, don't rush anyone back. Don't do anything out of panic. They're not going to catch the Astros, so the idea of having home field in the postseason, which to the extent that it even matters, isn't going to happen. Just hold the lead, get everyone healthy, you know, by a couple weeks before the postseason so everyone's, you know, up and running um, and see what happens. I, I wouldn't rush anyone back. Yeah, there's no reason to. And Brown, Brandon says in the comments it was a rotator cuff was Kipnis's thing. So at least it's not the same thing, not another hamstring injury. Um, and then, yeah, the thing with Chisenhall is just that he was so hot. It was, it's unfortunate that he goes down. He's one of the Indians' best hitter, which is something that hasn't happened a whole lot, but he's finally maybe coming into his form. I think we talked about this the last podcast. So he's been really good for a while now. Now he's unfortunately injured. So we'll see how long he's going to be out soon. The other thing, I don't think we, I can't remember if we talked about it, but um, a lot of Indians players having babies right now, which is conspicuously around 10 months after they clinched the, <laughs> the American League after winning the championship series. 
Um, the kind of timing babies to events thing is always creepy to me, but it, it happened. I mean, there's like four Indians players who had to go away <laughs> to tend to newborn babies. There was Carlos. Um, who else was it? I remember it was Santana. And there were a couple others, but it's just a, a very funny coincidence that they all did it at the same time. Good for them. They deserve to celebrate winning the division. <laughs> yeah, of course. And they deserve to have the time off to go see their kids, too. And then I will never care. Even if just... As someone, as someone who took six weeks off work when their child was born, I'm not going to regret someone missing six games. You slacker, Jason. How could you? Yeah, I'll never get that. Like, it's it's fine for everybody else to take time off, and it's fine for baseball players. They're, they're people, too. Uh, speaking of baseball players being people, I want to talk about one of my favorite baseball player people, Jose Ramirez, uh, Zach Mizell, Cleveland.com, who just to, I don't know, Cleveland has a lot of great sports writers, I think, not maybe in the national level, but there's a bunch of great little small ones, but for somebody on one of the biggest sites, I really like a bunch of the stuff Zach does. He's maybe the best just pure storyteller that, um, while Cleveland media, like finding a story of a player and telling it. And recently he told one about Ramirez, about how he came from. Um, but the Bonnie, or he grew up in Bonnie, Dominican Republic. He was a kid who quit school at 14 to pursue a major league dreams, which if you think about that, quitting school at 14 and then making it most of the way to the majors and being told you're too small the whole way. Maybe I can see why he blocked us. If we've ever mentioned his size, cause <laughs> I can't imagine quitting school at 14 years old. Um, and then being told you're not gonna be able to make it the whole way there. And then kind of shoving in everybody's face when you do get there and be so great. So I can't blame it all for that. Uh, but Ramirez is just on fire right now as in terms of playing and popularity. And he's one of the most fun players of the all-star game. Um, he's got his, he's got his face on shirts. I recently got one of them. I got the yes way Jose one. And that was, that's a really neat shirt. He's also on coffee. Apparently. <laughs> I don't know if it's related, but he said he kept getting thrown on the bases cause he drank too much coffee as a joke. And now his face is apparently the name or is either name or face or something is on coffee, which makes sense. That's a good brand to go after. Um, his parents are going to be with him in Miami for the all-star game. Uh, it's the first time we'll be seeing them since the beginning of the season, which is the big thing about players in different countries. They don't always get to see their family. So it's nice that Jose will for that. Um, and it just seems like so far lately, there's been this kind of player in Cleveland almost every year. It was Lindor last year, Jose this year, and sort of Zimmer this year. And in a couple of years, it's going to be probably like Tristan McKenzie, Francisco Mejia. But it's just a nice time in Cleveland to have all these exciting, young, fun players coming up. So. It's really nice. And I don't think Jose came out quite as much of nowhere as some people like to think. There were a lot of scouts that saw something in him coming up, but it was always just his size and he's proved everyone wrong. And Zach Mizell's piece is a really nice story about how Jose came from, I mean, basically nothing as a 14 year old kid quitting school to an all-star and one of the Indians best players. And if he keeps playing the way he is a legitimate MVP candidate, it's, I want to see Jose Ramirez win an MVP. <laughs> that would be the best thing ever. So. I'm really happy for Jose. It was a really great story by Zach. And so what do you think about Jose? Are you, I, I assume you're a big fan. I would hope. Yeah. I mean, he's like, frankly looking, you know, this year and last year, so the last season and a half, he's been the Indians best position player. He's been better than Lindor. Uh, you know, which I think is partially, you know, Lindor is not, he's doing well, he's doing fine but he's not doing as well as he did last year. And then Ramirez was better than I think a lot of people remember last year or realized last year, just because uh, maybe because of Lindor or, you know, the pitching staff got a lot of attention. Um, you know, it takes a while for Lindor sort of arrived in the postseason, I think. Uh, and Ramirez hasn't sort of arrived quite that way yet. Uh, I don't think most Indians fans even realize it, but last year and a half Ramirez 
best position player on the team. Are you saying Ramirez hasn't arrived like that yet or back then? I'm saying yet. I mean, I know oh, he really? made the All-Star, which is something. And, you know, he won the vote. But I think, you know, partially third base doesn't have, you know, a standout guy that, like, fans are more aware of. Um, but, no, I mean, like, Lindor, I feel like at this point – is a major league baseball star player. And I don't mean in terms of quality. I mean, in terms of just like perception and, yeah, you know, fan awareness and Jose Ramirez doesn't have that. He's at least there on the Cleveland level, I think. Yeah. Which is the but next I mean, step is national. I mean, Lindor is yeah. the, the team's biggest star Face. this decade, I think. And, you know, Ramirez might get there. Um, but I think for Lindor, a lot of that was uh, the, the postseason last year. Hopefully, the Indians get to the World Series again, and, and Ramirez has the opportunity to, to to enter that same club of super well-known, popular guys. Yeah, and as far as the All-Star voting went, it was he was down like two thousand votes within less than a week to go, and he overcame it. So that was mostly Indians fans, obviously, but it wasn't that he came back from so far so quickly, and he, he came over uh, Miguel Sano, which, by the way, this week. We're we're forced to not watch baseball because the the players think they need a break. Those darn slackers, they're getting paid money. They should be entertaining me all the time, twenty four seven. But they're gonna take an all star break. There's a home run derby tonight. From what I saw, I think Aaron Judge hit one five hundred feet. Giancarlo Stanton hit a couple windows, but he was out in the first round. Um, before we get to the actual all star game, what do you think of the home run derby? Are you a big fan of that, or you wish it would kind of go away? And ESPN's you pushing know, it really hard, especially with their broadcast now. They are very fake excited about it. I feel like last year, I think it was last year, they implemented like a new system where instead of like a number of swings, it was a clock. Mm -hmm. um, it felt much, I had sort of lost interest in it, which, you know, it was partially just getting older, partially being sick of Chris Berman, so, so sick of Chris Berman. Back, back, uh, back, back, back. But last year, Stanton hit like 61 home runs. And because it was a clock instead of just like a number of pitches, there's no reason to take pitches anymore. I just felt like it moved more quickly. Stanton did, uh, got a lot of attention, but it was the, it was the first time I really enjoyed the home run derby in a long time. Uh, and tonight with putting my daughter to bed and stuff like that, I haven't seen very much of it. I have it on now and Aaron judge is capable of hitting the ball very far, very frequently. <laughs> That's what I can tell you from the last, few minutes of home run derby viewing tonight <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't know i've never really been into it i don't even hate chris berman i kind of like chris berman which i probably shouldn't say in a live broadcast but definitely you shouldn't have said that <laughs> i don't know why i guess it's, i think it's because it was the kind of thing where he's like you hear him as a kid so you kind of tolerate him as an adult but i don't know i've never really been into it but i also don't think it's for me i think it's mostly like for kids and I get adults too i guess but i mean the thing is mostly for kids like they get excited about seeing the home runs because I was sitting there watching it with my five-year-old. It was really neat. Uh, today was just like the – it wasn't even a game. It was just the all-star um, – what they call it? Like interviews a bunch of players, and every player that come up, you ask who they are, and he knows a bunch of logos from cards already, so it was neat explaining that to him. And when you're a kid, even if you have access to all this information, seeing players, it's still neat to see them all come together and play each other. Because I specifically remember I used to watch the, the Pro Bowl a lot as a kid because it was after the season. It was like the end of football and – they would have skills competitions. You can see your favorite players as kind of being people and not always playing. That's one of the things I liked as a kid. And then they took it away because a bunch of adults didn't like the fact that they were just doing skills competitions. And um, that was when I stopped watching the Pro Bowl and eventually football altogether. That was kind of the start of it, I guess. 
Um, but I like the minor stuff in baseball and seeing a bunch of players coming together and playing, and I think it's good for kids and getting people into the game. Even if the ESPN broadcast of the Home Run Derby is so fake enthusiasm, they're all falling over their chairs every time there's a home run like they weren't expecting to see it, <laughs> which is kind of annoying. But, but Aaron Judge crushing baseballs is fun. I don't know how you can say that and also say you kind of like Chris Berman. Like, oh, well. <laughs> Chris Berman was the worst for all of that, and him no longer being a part of the broadcast is a big reason. No, they much. are... You you haven't watched it. They are insane. They're going. They're crazy people right now. I, I'm. If you measured it, I'm pretty sure they're louder than Chris Berman was. Like the whole Chris group Berman, of them are just yelling and jumping up and down every time as a home run. from you saying you like Chris Berman. <laughs> I said I can tolerate him. I might have said I like him, but I don't love him. I just sort of like Chris Berman. I don't know. It's because I always used to watch the Sunday night fo- or Sunday night count or Sunday morning countdown, whatever he did on ESPN as a kid, and it just kind of stuck and. I don't know. Don't judge me, Jason. <laughs> but, <laughs> Sorry. You've been judged. Aaron judged? Hey, The weird thing about Aaron Judge, everybody talks about how giant he is and there's all these jokes, and then I look and I realize I'm an inch taller than him. So like, I am I am not giant human. I'm completely normal size. What are you talking about? I'm only 6'8". It's eight. the question of why don't you have 31 home runs. <laughs> That's all it takes is height, right? That's all you need. There's nothing else in baseball. Just be big and swing really hard, and you're good. The problem was I only played basketball in school, and then I barely played that. Then I tried football and hated it, and I never even considered baseball. Because <laughs> when you're giant, it's not a good sport to play. When it doesn't like nobody asked you in high school to play baseball when you're a giant. It's always basketball and football. I don't know. It's weird. Anyway, onto the actual All Star game. Jose Ramirez, like we said, he was voted in. Overcame a two hundred thousand vote deficit to win with a week left. Uh, we beat up Miguel Sano, and even though Sano has more home runs, might be the more exciting player if you go by that alone. But Jose leads AL third baseman in essentially everything. WRC Plus, he has 157, leads all AL third baseman in every aspect of a slash line, average on base percentage slugging. He leads everything. So it wasn't even close. <laughs> Jose is the better third baseman. He should have been in there. I also think it's important to note that this won't be forever. Manny Machado still exists, and he's still a third baseman for the Baltimore Orioles. He's just really bad this year, so it's good that this is the year Jose took off and won the vote because I don't know if he will get it another chance if Machado stays in the AL. Although he is a free agent after this year, or after next year, so maybe he goes to the NL and then Jose Ramirez is the undisputed best third baseman in the AL. I don't know, but uh, joining him in Miami is Michael Brantley, Francisco Lindor, Andrew Miller, and Corey Kluber technically was going to be the starter, but he pitched on Sunday, thankfully, so he won't pitch in the All-Star game. Um, you're looking forward to that, Jason, seeing all those, yeah, at least one I, Indians player. The home run derby I enjoyed last year, but I could take it or leave it. I watched almost none of it tonight and don't particularly. But the All-Star game, I legitimately love. I think I've probably, I'm, there's probably somewhere a year in there when for some reason I couldn't. I was <laughs> infatuated with some girl who wanted to go do something stupid the night of the All-Star game or something. But like as best I can recall, I've watched the All-Star game every year since I was like seven years old. And legitimately love the all-star game even though there's a lot of stuff that's stupid about it so are you a fan of taking away the fact that the win doesn't count anymore or do you like it just so it's its own thing no like i i thought that was one of my least favorite all-star game things ever was tying home field in the world series so because it was pointless this kind of work yeah not pointless (laughs) but misguided and distracted from just letting the game be a collection of the best baseball players in the world all in one game and it shouldn't need anything extra to give it any oomph. Yeah, I think you might have mentioned this before, maybe last year when we talked about the All-Star game, but baseball is like one of the best sports that you can still, 
it's still fun if you're not going maximum effort. Like football, that's crap if you're not going maximum effort. Hockey's not. Basketball just is. I guess basketball might be fun, but baseball is still good if you're not going full effort. You can still hit really far and have exciting pitches and have exciting plays, even well, if you're not. I, but like, and frankly, I don't even know if it's that as much as just like they basically can still go full effort because there's not the same injury risk. Like in football, you're out of your mind to play as hard as you can in a game that doesn't count for anything. That you're not, you know, like it can only really harm you. Uh, you know, in basketball, to some extent, the same thing. The, the NBA All-Star game is, like, sort of fun just because it's like watching a video game for three and a half quarters. And then if it's close, they all suddenly take it seriously for the last few minutes, and that's neat. Um, <laughs> the Pro Bowl, I think, I mean, I, it's probably been 20 years since I watched a Pro Bowl, but uh, the Pro Bowl was never my thing. But, yeah, I, I feel like baseball All-Star game just feels like a regular baseball game in terms of like effort and strategy and execution, except for like the fact that the best players don't stay in the whole game. But I don't know. I, I love the all-star game. I know it has plenty of critics and they're welcome to, to not like it. I'm too old to care if people don't like the things I like. I love the all-star game. <laughs> I like it enough. And I like that my kids are going to be able to watch it and see a bunch of players come together and play each other. So that's always neat. That's as much as I care about liking it. I'll still watch it. It's not like a terrible thing to watch. So I'm all for it. Did you see, um, I think it was Bryce Harper. He wanted to change it so they do the whole stupid, who all does it now? Hockey does it. Basket, I think basketball might do it. But where you pick teams instead of just doing AL versus NL. I'm, that's an awful idea. I hate that. I don't want that. I want AL versus NL. That's the cool part about it for yeah. me is that's two leagues, the best players fighting each other, not just picking random <laughs> players and slapping them together. If I had my way, the All-Star game would be the way it is, and we'd get rid of interleague play so that the World Series and the All-Star game were the only time the two leagues met. Cool. That's how it was when I was a kid, and nothing should be different than when I was <laughs> Absolutely nothing. It, it, the biggest point that Bryce Harper brought up was, wouldn't it be cool to see Clayton Kershaw against Justin Turner? Well, it's also cool to see Clayton Kershaw against AL hitters. I don't care if he faces his own teammate. It's fun to see him against other good players. I don't know. That idea is stupid, and I hate it, and I don't want it. I don't know. It's just not an all-star game anymore. It's just a random gimmick to try to get people to watch it. Bad idea. Um, so, Jason, I think that's all for regular lineup stuff. We have a ton of questions today. So it's kind of good we got through everything kind of quick. Um, as always, on Monday, we'll ask you guys for questions on Facebook, Twitter, or if you want to be one of the first people to email sbnletsgotribe.gmail.com, you are more than welcome. We will find your question one way or another, and we will answer it. Um... So yeah, that first one, Mark Sheffleton on Facebook, he wants to know, is there a disconnect between the bullpen's ERA and their effectiveness? They've been a big strength, and it seems like there's always been, or there has been several games lately given up by the bullpen. I think my answer for this is just the difference between perception and reality. They're really good, and bullpens tend to blow games once in a while. That's just what happens. The Indians have the best ERA and best FIP, uh, their bullpen, in all of the majors, so they're good. I don't know what you people want. Well, what you said about perception, that's, I mean, because I feel like the question is sort of saying, yeah, ERA and their FIP and stuff like that are really good, but they're blowing games, but they're not blowing games. Uh, I mean, the Indians have three blown saves all season, which is not only the fewest in baseball, uh, the next fewest blown saves is eight. <laughs> they have five fewer blown saves than any other team. And I realize a blown save isn't the only way 
for a bullpen not to be great. You know, like giving up a lead, losing a lead. Or I mean, there, there are other things. Um, but the bullpen is both good by statistics like ERA and FIP and good at not blowing leads. I think it's just blown leads stand out in fans' heads and Indians fans are paying so much more attention to the Indians than any other team that they don't have any context for for what's going on there. The, the fact is the Indians' bullpen is really good by like every metric, including not blowing leads. That's the big one, context. It's really hard to get context for a bullpen because you only really focus on when it goes wrong. And the Indians' uh, bullpen also. They're the fifth fewest innings pitched, so I guess maybe there's more perception warping there, the fact that they're they're used the less and or the least, and when they blow it, it looks more frequent. I don't know, but the bullpen is really good. There is no... They have a good ERA, but somehow they're blowing games, like you said. They're they're good at ERA, and they're good at not screwing up. Mike Vorius on Facebook, he wants to know, what is your or what do you attribute to our success against a stud like Verlander, but trials against lesser Tiger pitchers? As far as Verlander goes, I'm usually not one to, to speculate on like the mental aspect of players, but it seems like the Indians are just very, very far into Justin Verlander's head. Uh, there's the whole always claiming the Indians are stealing pitches thing. And I cannot find it, but I know I looked it up before. I kind of skimmed over it before I recorded. But if you look like down Jason or Justin Verlander's starts, you'll see ERAs of like three, two, four, zero. And then there's like nine, eight, seven when you get to Cleveland. Like his only bad, disastrous games are against Cleveland. It's not like he just has a couple bad ones. He had a good one on Sunday when the or on Saturday when the Tigers still lost, but he was great. But for the most part, the Indians just, I don't know, I, I think they're in his head. or if, if Maybe the Indians are stealing pitches. That could be a thing, and I'm perfectly fine with that because that's just a thing that happens. But maybe Verlander is just the one pitcher who's not capable of changing him. I don't know. Maybe he just doesn't like changing him because he feels like they shouldn't be stealing signs, so I'm not going to change, and maybe that's why he gets hit so hard. I don't know. But there is really something about the Indians pounding Jason or Justin Verlander. They do it all the time. Like his only bad games over his whole career have been against Cleveland. Um, not just like the four or five year rail, like the eight and nine runs allowed games. Bad games of his career are against Cleveland. It's but... like an overwhelmingly amount of his not, I'm not saying like just barely bad games. Like he allowed four runs in five, like his nine, eight ERA game. There are several against Cleveland. Yeah, no, the Indians have definitely hit him well. And I think, Usually, like, player versus player, player versus team matchups, I don't worry too much about. But Verlander's been pitching against the Indians for a long time. He has, like, two seasons worth of games against the Indians at this point. So there's no small sample to it. The Indians have had a lot of success. The other part of the question, as compared to other Tigers or, you know, lesser pitchers in general, that, I think, for the most part, is just selective memory. I think that's something where, like, a nobody you know, pitches well against the Indians and it stands out because it seems unexpected. Whereas when the Indians hit a nobody, it doesn't stand out because it's what you expected and you forget all about it. Um, Verlander aside, because, you know, whatever it is, the Indians do hit him and have for a long time really well. Uh, I mean, the Indians had good games against Chris Sale and people were like, oh, I'd rather face Chris Sale than... No, for the most part, non-Verlander, uh, I'd much rather face the nobody than the generally great pitcher. I'd rather face Verlander. I don't know. I don't feel like the Indians had anything on Chris Sale. That felt like luck. I'm going by feel here, which is a very good analytical thing to go by, I know. But I don't know. I just feel like the Indians, like they're screwing with Jason Verlander somehow. He does not like facing them. He always complains about them. He 
I don't know. There's something there. I just like how much they mess with him because he's such a whiner in general. Um, one of the games you missed, by the way, I don't know if you saw, but there was a light that bothered the Tigers. It was in one of the suites behind home plate. They actually had to stop the game and call up the suite and tell them to shut the light off because it bothered Ian Kinsler. <laughs> like the Tigers, there's something every single time. There was the wedding ring with Brian Shaw. There's, of course, the sign stealing, and now there's a light in a suite that bothered him too much. That could also be coincidence that the it's just the Tigers. The Tigers are an running, old but... team, and old people are easily bothered. <laughs> That's clearly it. Uh, Anthony, did I get the right question? No, Anthony Mollison on Facebook. He wants to know, why did the Indians allow David Ross in the ballpark last night? You told me before the podcast that you, well, I can't remember the exact words, but you don't like the fact, or you don't like David Ross, I guess. So I'm just going to back up and let you go on this one. <laughs> well, like David Ross was a fine backup catcher in the major leagues. Like, that's cool. Like, I mean, if, if I had, if that had been the outcome of my life, I'd have been pretty stoked with that. Like, I'm not trying to denigrate what he's done with himself. Um, but in the grand scheme of major league baseball players, he was, he was like a nobody. And other than the fact that it means the Indians lost the world series, I think my least favorite thing about the Cubs winning the world series is David Ross retired and has somehow become like this mythic folk hero in Chicago where I live and apparently around the country because he's everywhere. And I never need to see David Ross on my TV again. Like show me Ron Parker Vice or some other capable backup catcher. I don't need David Ross. There's nothing. He's not special. I'm tired of David Ross. <laughs> I hope he listens to this podcast. I really hope David Ross, for several reasons, I hope David Ross listens to this podcast. <laughs> but as I'm a counter... I'm sure he's a really nice guy. Like, he seems like he was a great teammate. Like, I don't want to dislike David Ross. I never disliked him when he was playing. Like, but in, like the, the Dancing with the Stars and constantly on, like, ESPN and MLB Network and all this stuff. Like, let's slow it down. We're not talking about a Hall of Famer here. We're talking about a solid backup catcher who happened to be on a team that hadn't won the World Series for over 100 years. I feel like if there's always a player on the team like that when there's a World Series winner if they retire afterwards. I think you're right, and it's just because it's the Cubs, it's just been magnified so much more. Yeah, well, I mean, it's magnified always. Remember, like, Jerome Bettis when the Steelers won? And I'm sure there were more. That's always the first one that comes to mind because yeah, I grew Jerome up around Bettis the Steelers. Jerome was like a pro bowler. Jerome Bettis was like a great football. Yeah, I guess that isn't a perfect comparison. Well, he yeah, it's not a perfect comparison, but there's always that retiring player who... It's just blown out of proportion because he won a World Series in his last year. And it's really annoying, especially, like you said, when it's a player who was inconsequential for 99% of the time. But I will say, in the booth, he wasn't bad. Living in Chicago, I'm sure, makes it worse because I'm sure I'm exposed to stuff that I lived in Cleveland or anywhere but Chicago I maybe wouldn't see. But a lot of it's national stuff, too. And I don't need – let's – I need, like, a five-year ban on David Ross. <laughs> uh. No, it's definitely national, though. I'm in New York, and I see – I've seen way too much David Ross. Like, baseball has a problem with getting faces out there, but I know exactly what David Ross looks like, which is seems like the opposite thing. of what it should be. You want to know are what retired <laughs> backup catchers look like. <laughs> Way to go, baseball. You did it. But I will say, in the booth, he wasn't bad. I didn't mind him. Once he got past talking about his heroics in Game 7, um, and his dramatic, if Rajai Davis would have caught that ball, I'd, I don't want to hear that, but he wasn't that bad. He came research stuff. He had nice anecdotes. He yeah, seemed to know what was going on. I'm dislike him he seems like a likable good person but uh <laughs> i just don't want to see about him dancing anymore that's 
pretty much over that. Uh, Blake Rain on Twitter, at Blake Rain. He wants to know more likely to be an Indian in 2019, Brantley or Chisenhall. Um, I believe they're both free agents after 2018. I know Chisenhall is. I can't remember if Brantley is. Yeah, because Brantley has an option. Have an option for next year. So assuming the Indians pick up their option, then yes, they'll both be out of team control uh, after 2018 unless there's an extension. And at this point, uh, we know Brantley's going to have his option picked up, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So I, what think do you think? I think uh, Chisenhall is, I think, two years younger. Uh, I think, you know, by the time Brantley gets to that point, he'll be like 32, which isn't old. Um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know. That's a stupid thing to say. I don't know. Because um, <laughs> it goes without saying. But I know for sure. It's I feel like Brantley's likely to be a little more expensive, um, but not necessarily to project to be any better. I feel like it's more likely that Chisenhall can be re-signed for less money as more of like a, you know, some sort of role player. Um, you know, I don't think either of them is getting a huge payday. I and mean, if Brantley keeps doing what he's doing this season uh, and stays healthy, maybe he does. Although going back to the All-Star game, I think one of the signs that the Indians have arrived in the national scene is the fact that they have All-Stars who don't deserve to be All-Stars. Usually, uh, you know, that's Teams like the Yankees, the Cubs, the Cubs who have like no one on the all-star team, I think, except for Wade Davis, which is incredible. Uh, but usually, uh, I don't feel like the Indians are getting extra all-stars, but they, Michael Brantley should not be on the all-star team. No, uh, not at all. And while I think Lindor is completely appropriate, because I think the all-star game should be more about more than just the last three months, if you do go by just the last three months... Lindor doesn't really deserve to be on the All-Star team either. So I think the fact that the Indians are getting guys in the team who maybe don't deserve it, I think is a sign that they're not being overlooked anymore. So that's, I guess, cool. Yeah, because they weren't um, – only Jose Ramirez obviously won the fan vote, fan vote, but the rest of them were all really close. At one point, there were several leading. I think Lindor led by a lot. Edwin led. Brantley was like third for outfielder. So there was a point where the Indians had somebody. I think even Jan Gomes was up there for catchers, so – Indians fans are representing and voting, and that also means like non-Indians fans are getting there and voting too. So it's a good judge of how nationally known the Indians are, which is cool. Uh, so the next one, at Ricky Howe 16, he wants to know, what should be the Indians' prime focus come the trade deadline? We agreed we're going to talk about mostly about the deadline in the next episode, but we can kind of, because it's coming up, there's no way to avoid it anymore. So Jason, what do you think their main focus is going to be? Like, this is, like, the least satisfying answer there is, but I, I just don't feel like there's, like, something to really go after because uh, the biggest weakness on the team in terms of, like, a position is catcher, but they've got two catchers signed for, like, another three years, and their best prospect is a catcher. It doesn't really make any sense to trade for a catcher. Yep. Uh you know, I guess if, if Kipnis were going to be out for the year or something like that, then maybe you look for an upgrade at second base. But if, if Kipnis is going to be back in, you know, three or four weeks, then that doesn't make any sense. Like, I just – I every team could use another starting pitcher, I suppose. But I, I just don't see, despite the Indians being semi-mediocre so far, uh, I just don't see, like, the glaring weakness that you go out to fix. What about you? Yeah, the same thing. Because their mediocrity is not that the players are all bad. It's that they can't score. Like, they have... Like, there's no... You're not going to find an upgrade, really, on the trade market. Like, who are you going to upgrade even in the outfield? I guess you could sort of 
want to, you know, I guess JD Martinez, if you want to great right field, but even then, is that really that big of enough leap over Lonnie Chisholm Hall and whoever else goes over there with him? Center fielder, obviously Bradley Zimmer's in there now. Legitimate upgrades available, but those are the kind of guys who are going to cost you like two of your top three or four prospects. And I certainly don't want to see them trading away, you know, say Mejia, who they tried to trade away for LaCroix last year. And oh my God, like we should all love Jonathan LaCroix for being a <laughs> Like that's one, LaCroix has turned into total garbage. And two, the Indians almost gave away a guy who on a lot of lists is now one of the top 10 prospects in baseball. Um, yeah, number three on baseball perspective. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want, there's no one I want them trading him away for because Gomes and Perez do not look like they should be the Indians catcher much longer. So I'd say, you know, if he is ready, you know, mid season, next season, he becomes the Indians catcher. Uh, do you call him untouchable at this point or is just, I don't know. Unless, unless you can obviously rule out like extremely lopsided trades, but. Yeah, I'd in say he's unacceptable barring a trade offer that I can't fathom happening. Right, so, funny, yeah. yeah, I mean, like if the Yankees are like, oh, we'll give you Aaron Judge for him, well then, sure. But, <laughs> we'll do that. Uh, Just do it there's no plausible trade offer involving Mejia that I would want the Indians to lose him at this point. And I'm... Yeah, it's the Indians are in a really weird spot because they're good enough to win and there's nothing you can upgrade immediately. And as far as somebody who runs a website based around getting clicks around the trade deadline. It's really unfortunate that there's no, <laughs> they're not linked to anybody. There's no reason for them to be linked to anybody. If I'm going to do anything about the trade deadline, it's just essentially saying in some weird world, this is what they can do because <laughs> there's nothing. A bullpen arm maybe, but their bullpen is the best. I don't know. Uh, like a fifth starter if they don't believe in Trevor Bauer, or Josh Tomlin, but that's not exciting. They also have Sean Morimondo. So if you have to trade anything for anybody, you're basically losing the value because you're not going to get a huge, massive upgrade compared to what you're trading away. Yeah, that's it's how really I feel. Yeah. And also with Francisco Mejia, there's another catcher. Um, I think his first name is Eric. Eric Haas. Uh, he's been really good lately, so the Indians might have two good catchers coming up soon. Or not soon, but in the next couple of years. So Does this mean we're going to have to watch Jan Gomes and Roberto Perez for at least another year or two? Are we doomed to that fate? I think Mejia, I, I think Mejia like, you know... 12 months from now could potentially be up. Um, if he keeps playing as well as he has and, and Gomes and Perez don't turn things around, uh, I think he could be up a year from now. I, you know, that wouldn't match the Indians' normal sort of MO with their, their best prospects, but most of the core should be together for the next three years. If you've got I don't think there's any reason to hold your best prospects back. You know, there's the service time thing, which is why he wouldn't be up on opening day. Mm -hmm. um, but I think beyond the service time thing, I don't think next year would be too early if the second half of this year is like the first half for those three catchers. Yeah, the only thing with, I think as far as I know, the only thing he's developing now is his defense, which I don't know is that if his offense is good enough next year, can you let it slide that maybe he's still developing on defense? Maybe. I mean, if he's hitting... If, he's, if he can hit like he can in double-A in the majors, then absolutely. But there's going to be a drop-off somewhere. So you just have to know like where his offense is going to overwhelm his developing defense. Because uh, there's been like – there's a range of he's either sort of bad on defense or he's really bad on defense. I don't know. He has a really good arm, but everything else is, he's struggling with is, as far as I know, which I'm not a scout or anything. Um, our next question, at James Cags 24 he wants to know your favorite Cleveland sports talk radio show, Jason. I know you go home and you tune in that ESPN 
the score and listen to whatever. No. Not living in or near Cleveland, uh, I can't say I've ever listened to a Cleveland sports talk radio show. I would hope... I will defer to your New York listening. <laughs> well, for a while there, when I first started, um, when I had a job where I sat in an office all day and I was trying to list, look for things to listen to, I did listen to um, Eddie's XM radio and you could get the like ESPN anywhere basically. I listened to the Cleveland one. It, it felt like it was awful, but I didn't know of any alternatives. So I listened to them for a while and it was bad. But there are really good podcasts out there um, based around the Indians or Cleveland sports in general. One of my favorites is the A to Z podcast with um, Andre Knott, who's especially good because there's a lot of really neat behind-the-scenes stuff with the Indians because he's always interacting with them, obviously, as the the STO broadcast guy. And he's he'll tell you a bunch of things about the Indians <laughs> and about uh, just being in the locker room. It's a really neat perspective. I mean, obviously, if you're hardcore into stats and that's all you care about, you probably won't like it. But as far as the Indians as people and players, it's really neat to see their mindset of things. Um, that's a really underrated one. And there's also like the guys over at waiting for next year. They do a bunch of good podcasts. So there is a lot of good stuff to listen to. Uh, if you just like Cleveland Twitter stuff, there's McNeil show, which is new, which is neat. Hipster Tito, the guy who did the um, party of Napoli sign. And he's really fun on Twitter. He has his own show too. So there's a bunch popping up. I'm sure it's also just because I don't listen to teams anywhere else, but it seems like Cleveland has a bunch of good uh, podcasts and websites. There's a bunch of good Cleveland stuff. So if you're a Cleveland fan, there's a lot of stuff to listen to and read. Just don't, don't listen to ESPN radio. Just don't. <laughs> There's no reason to. You have infinite alternatives that you could fill up an entire day instead of listening to that. Do you listen to any podcasts, by the way, Jason? Baseball or otherwise? Um, I listen to Jonah Carey's podcast, which is baseball and otherwise. Um, not every week. Um, but no, I don't listen to And I realize as they co-host of a podcast that's like a weird and maybe bad thing to say i don't know uh but no i don't listen to a ton of podcasts like my wife and i sometimes like when we're like you know we've got like a long drive we'll put on she's got some on her phone and she'll load up like the freakonomics ones and stuff like that um but unless it's a long car ride like i know a lot of people listen to podcasts when they're running and stuff like that and i don't i don't yeah i don't listen to a ton either i do listen i mean i listen to them once in a while the one Baseball won the most is effectively wild, which is really good. Yeah, that's, I, I sometimes listen to that one. It's true. That is a really good one. Yeah, Jeff Sullivan and Michael Bauman, they're really good. Um, but yeah, I can't like – I know people say they listen to them while they're working or whatever. But if I'm doing anything requiring the slightest amount of thinking, I can't have something talking that I want to listen to. Yeah. Because I'll focus – like I can have a random baseball game on in the background or TV shows, but it was like a podcast where I know they're discussing stuff I would be interested in. I always have to listen to it and it distracts me, so – the hard part is just finding time to listen to it. Um, and usually if I'm like just sitting down to do something, I'd also want to watch. So I don't want to like stare at a screen of <laughs> just the logo. So it's, it's a weird thing. Our last question comes from our, oh boy, Jalilis. He wants to know, Jose's Twitter, origin of Mr. Lapara, and how does a guy who speaks no English have such clever, nuanced English language tweets? Um, so the... The Mr. LaPara thing, I actually asked Joel, who's been on the podcast, who runs the Cleveland Indians Twitter, if he knew he was going to reach out to Jose's translator, but she wasn't around. So I don't know. I have no idea. We almost had a scoop, Jason. We were this close, but it didn't happen. So if anybody does know, I mean, Google didn't say anything. LaPara translates to four. So unless he means Mr. Four, I don't think that's what he was going for. Um, but I have no idea. And as far as the English uh, language tweets, there is a conspiracy theory that Jose Ramirez can speak perfect. Perfect. Uh, perfect? 
<laughs> perfect English, but he's hiding it from us all. Um, he kind of leaks it out to Jose, or, uh, Andre Nod in post-game interviews and stuff as a joke, but I think most likely he's just a clever, funny guy, and he just tells them to his translator or someone else, and they put in the Twitter for him because he does seem like a smart guy who's really funny in general. So I would not doubt at all that that's, he's the one saying those things one way or another, and somebody else is typing it for him in English. Maybe like adjusting it so it's funnier on Twitter or something, but I don't think it's just like somebody, a PR person, tweeting for Jose because I think he just has that much personality in him. Because I don't know if he follows Twitter, Jason, but he's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar. But it is your fault that he blocked us, so maybe you don't know. I really wish we could know exactly why. We know a general timeline or a general reason, but I guess we'll never know. He unblocked us. That's the important thing. Um, so, Jason, anything else fun happen? Happened or happening in the baseball world or in, in just the Lucart world? Uh, no, I'm going to watch and enjoy the All-Star game tomorrow. And I know generally, and I used to, to complain about the day without any baseball. But frankly, at this point in my life, as busy as I am, I can use like a day to catch up on stuff before the second half starts. Uh, I would also, you talked about, there's a lot of good stuff to watch, to listen to, to read. Uh, Dave Cameron at Fangraphs, uh, All-Star Week is always the week he does his trade value series, which is a great read. Um, top 50 players, 10 a day. Um, so that started today. Lindor is going to be high on that. Ramirez is going to be high on that. Kluber is going to be on it. Uh, Carrasco might be on it. So there'll be a lot for Indians fans. But just baseball in general, uh, it's, it's a well thought out, well written series. Uh, so if you're looking for something to do while well, there's not much baseball the next few days, Pop by Fangraphs and check out the Trade Value series. That's all well and good. I'll be playing Crash Bandicoot, Jason. <laughs> I've got too many questions to ask them all. Oh, you do know what Crash Bandicoot is, don't you? Well, I know. Yes, I'm okay. familiar with Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> you I know that there was a they remastered the game. It's all shiny now. And you were a grown up, so <laughs> the game is shiny. It's new, Jason. There's stuff to jump over. It's great. And one other thing, I was visiting family this weekend too. And um, to someone in Chicago, I, I wonder, is a Michael Jordan collection anything? Because my dad, he pulled out these two giant totes of plates and cards, like all meticulously sleeved and all these signed things. I think some of them were from QBC, so not really signed by Michael Jordan. But I, I imagine in Chicago, there's a ton of people that collect Michael Jordan stuff. But I don't know anybody who's obsessed with Michael Jordan like my dad was. And it was really cool. Is that a thing in Chicago that just everybody still loves Jordan? Yeah, no, um, definitely. Uh, I imagine I, there was so much memorabilia made that there, at no point in the last thirty years could you have gone to a Bulls game and see fans wearing more jerseys of a player other than Jordan. Like Jordan hasn't played for the Bulls for almost twenty years, and at no point in those twenty years have there ever been more. Derek Rose or whoever jerseys at a Bulls game than there are still Jordan jerseys. Isn't that partially because they haven't had anybody <laughs> worth I mean, getting the never, jersey? He was the number one pick and MVP. Like you don't get much bigger than that. And he was from Chicago. Like oh yeah, Derek Rose was MVP. I forgot about that. But uh, I mean, other than Rose, yeah, you could say like that's a valid point. <laughs> um, but no, Jordan is definitely still the man in Chicago. And I can't really fathom a time when he's not like Chicago still loves Mike Ditka, who was probably a pretty crummy football coach who happened to coach a fantastic football team. Yeah. Uh, and he's still popular. So Michael Jordan, arguably the best 
American athlete ever is probably always going to be the man in Chicago. And one thing I don't even want to look up is that my dad owned like a pair of the first series of Jordans, but he just wore them every day to work and everywhere. So they were destroyed and eventually threw them away. I don't want to look up how much those might be worth now, but (laughs) he does have a a Chicago Bulls coat, a windbreaker in perfect condition. So I don't know, maybe that'll retire off that (laughs) because I'm sure those are rare. Windbreakers are popular, almost as popular as Jordan. (laughs) Anyway, that's enough Chicago Bulls talk. Uh, Jason, thanks for joining me as always on the podcast and everyone else. Yep. We will talk to you then. We're probably going to preview a bunch of the second half, trade deadline, all kinds of fun stuff. So see you then, everybody. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.